السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respects and listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is repeatedly referred to as a mercy for the worlds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him such in the Qur'an. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ And we have not sent you but as a mercy for the worlds. Allah in various places of the Qur'an speaks of the mercy and compassionate the mercy and compassion and the soft character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In fact, Allah puts down his success and his ability to unite the Arabs of Arabia, unite the warring factions and the many different tribes who were forever engaged in internecine warfare, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of that success and of his ability to unite them that this was the result of his leniency, his compassion and his softness. فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيذَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ Allah says, and it is of some compassion from Allah that Allah instilled in you. So, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ So it is of a compassion from Allah that you were soft and relenting towards them. وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيذَ الْقَلْبِ had you been harsh of tongue, hard of heart, they would have surely dispersed from around you. The Prophet's character, his softness was such that it endeared everyone to him. Rasulullah was not harsh of tongue in the least. Not even with enemies, not even with the Bedouin, 
who themselves were unrefined of tongue and character. And in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions his lack of offense as being one of the things referred to in the previous scriptures. In that long verse in which Allah mentions that they, the companions, they follow a prophet and a messenger whose record they find in the Torah and in the Injil, in the earlier scriptures by them. And then the Sahaba عنهم, have related to us in authentic hadith, as one relates by Imam Bukhari as well as others, what that description is in the previous scriptures. <coughs> and the description actually begins with the words, لَيْسَ بِفَضٍ وَلَا غَلِيظٍ وَلَا سَخَّابٍ فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ That's how his description begins in the earlier scriptures. That he is not harsh of tongue or hard of heart. And nor is he one to raise his voice in the marketplace. Everything about the Prophet ﷺ was of composure and nobility, compassion and softness. And this was even towards children. And that's actually the subject of our talk today. Which is the Prophet ﷺ's merciful and compassionate character and behavior, and in fact his love towards children. Not just his own, but to all children. The Prophet was a warrior. He was a leader. He was a legislator. He wasn't a poet. But he was a man of great philosophy and wisdom. He was a messenger of Allah, but in worldly terms, we see him as a messenger and prophet of Allah. But even for those who don't see him as such, they recognize him as being a political genius, a leader of the highest order, of the first rank, a warrior, a commander. For such a person to have this compassionate, soft, lenient, loving character, especially towards children, it seems to be at, at odds with that position and with his achievements. If you look at other military commanders, leaders, founders of empires, they may have been militant, they may have been powerful, they may have been belligerent, they may have achieved a lot of what they achieved through sheer ruthlessness. And that ruthlessness showed even towards adults and even towards their own friends and companions. But for someone of the caliber of the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, the Prophet Muhammad, if on the one hand you look at his achievements, his ability, his military campaigns, his courage, his valour, his bravery, his political leadership. And then on the other hand, you look at this soft, compassionate character to animals, to children, not just to adults, but to all. For us, this shows how complete a character he was, 
how wholesome a person he was. And in there is a beautiful example for us. And the Prophet ﷺ's love towards children was at a time and in a society and in a climate that often did not entertain such ideas. In fact, the Arabs at that time, not, not all of them, but some of them, they were guilty of infanticide, of killing their newborn female children, their girls. The Arab society being a very warrior-like tribal society, pretty lawless, they relied on men for earning, for learning, for protection, for fighting. And in that society, in most parts of Arabia, not all, women were looked down upon. Not only were they considered inferior, but frowned upon, not just considered inferior, they were considered a burden. A burden to be buried at birth. In that climate, the Prophet ﷺ showed love not just towards male children, but even to girls. He commanded the companions to look after their daughters. In fact, he has mentioned virtues of catering for and looking after and bringing up daughters which he has not mentioned for male children. There are rewards exclusive for a father looking after and loving his daughters that are not to be found in the hadith for looking after his male children. No such rewards have been mentioned. Promises of Jannah, promises of forgiveness, promises of paradise, promises of Allah's mercy. Specifically for raising and looking after girls and in fact one of the word one of the words in the hadith in relation to looking after girls and bringing up girls is that he fears allah that he fears allah in respect of his daughters that when it comes to one's daughters one should fear allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one should be conscious of his accountability to allah that's been mentioned specifically just for daughters. And how was the Prophet Sallallahu own relationship with girls in his family? Look at his daughter Fatima radiallahu anha. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates in a hadith from Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha who says that she describes how the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wasallam would greet his daughter and be greeted by her. So she says, when Fatima radiallahu anha would visit the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this is by the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam in a society and in a climate that frowned upon women, looked down upon women, that considered women to be a burden, to be buried at birth. In that society, this is how the Messenger of Allah وسلم, would receive his daughter. Aisha was a first-hand witness, being the wife of the Messenger وسلم, She says that when Fatima would come to visit her father, the Prophet 
would stand up. He'd receive Fatima. Radiallahu anha. He'd kiss her. And in one narration, the hadith of Abu Dawood, he would kiss her hand. And then, where he was seated, his main seat of honor, he would bid Fatima, his daughter, to sit in his place. That's how he treated his daughter. And not just Fatima radiallahu anha, we know of that because Aisha radiallahu anha gives us a first-hand witness account. Otherwise, he treated all of his daughters in the same way. And when Fatima radiallahu anha would be at home, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would visit her, she would reciprocate his behavior and his reception. So she would stand up, kiss him, and kiss his hand. And then vacate her place. I've mentioned this before. The Arabs had, in their culture, they had a tradition of a seat of honor for the owner, for the proprietor, or for the head of the tribe or the family. We, we don't have that. So it's difficult for us to relate to it. But the Arabs had this in their culture, even before Islam. So much so that nobody was allowed to occupy that seat of honor, not even a guest. If someone vacated that seat of honor and bid someone else to sit there, then that was a sign of great esteem. So the Prophet ﷺ would do this with his own daughter. <clears throat> Prophet ﷺ instructed the Sahaba to look after their daughters, to honor them, fear Allah in, re- in respect of them, to show them love and compassion. And he set an example himself. Again, in a tribal society, which laid great emphasis on male children and also the eldest of the children. And sad to say, some of this Ignorant mentality persists till today in some cultures. Both the frowning upon girls and giving exclusive privileges and thereby creating a climate of injustice and unfairness and bitterness and resentment in the family to the eldest child. So the eldest child is given exclusive privileges eldest male child. This creates a climate of injustice, unfairness, bitterness and resentment. And this persists in some cultures. In fact, to some degree, in our Muslim culture as well, in various parts of the world. When it comes to girls, you may have heard that even now, there are some people who observe the tradition of celebrating the birth of a boy and announcing it to the world and sharing the good news and receiving and exchanging greetings and gifts. But when a girl is born, the whole matter is kept very hush-hush. It's almost a source of embarrassment to the degree that the birth of girls is regarded in our culture as a lack of manliness. Who was a greater man than the Messenger of Allah? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In fact, there was a 
scientific study or there was a survey a study done a few years ago which showed that the hard men were predisposed to have daughters so soldiers leaders valiant courageous hardened men who were manly in every sense of the word for some strange reason for a quirk as they refer to it they are they tend to have daughters rather than sons so far from this i only mention this because in our culture there's this idea that girls are a sign of a lack of manliness and manhood on the part of the father who was a greater man than the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and it's mentioned again that fertility clinics that actually intervene and try to tamper with the sperm and with the fetus or before conception or they guide conception to one direction in fact they end fertility if there is a sign of a female child or gender specific fertility treatment the majority this is surprising even in those countries where Asians are a minority not just in this country but in other countries where Asians are a minority the majority of the clients in these fertility clinics that do gender specific treatment are Asians so despite being a minority of the whole population they constitute the majority of the clients in fertility clinics and all of this results from this desire to have male children as opposed to female children and this is an ignorant mentality it persists from the days of ignorance not just from arabia from but from other parts of the world the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam through the holy quran through personal example combated this by words by deed by example allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns it in the strongest terms and the extent to which this mentality persisted amongst the arabs which leads to very lopsided thinking is that they wanted female children sorry they wanted male children for themselves but female children they ascribed to allah so the goddesses were all daughters of allah the angels were regarded as females ja'alu al-malaa'ikata alladheena hum 'ibaadur rahmaani inaatha ashahidu khalqahum Allah says they have made those angels who are the servants of the gracious one they've made them females what were they a witness unto their creation and when it comes to goddesses Allah says afara'itum allat wal uzza wa manat al thalithat al ukhra alakum al dhakar wa lahu al untha tilka idhan qismatun dhiza that have you seen lat uzza and manat the three goddesses they used to refer to them as being the daughters of allah so allah says have you seen lat uzza and manat the third manat what should you have boys and he have girls this indeed is a strange or a unique division so the arabs rather stupidly 
they would shun girls themselves but ascribe them to Allah. And when one of Allah mentions the, the reaction of the news, reaction to the news of the birth of a girl, very graphically, in more than one place, Allah says, وَإِذَا بُشِّرَ أَحْدُهُمْ بِالْأُنْثَى ظَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدًّا وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ يَتَوَارَى مِنَ الْقَوْمِ مِنْ سُوءِ مَا بُشِّرَ بِهِ أَيُمْسِكُهُ عَلَى هُونٍ أَمْ يَدُسُّهُ فِي التُّرَابِ أَلَا سَاءَ مَا يَحْكُمُونَ Allah says when one of them is given the glad tidings of the birth of a girl, his face darkens. Whilst he is repressing his anger, his rage, he hides from the people because of the ill news that has been delivered to him. Thinking, should he hold on to this girl, baby girl, in disgrace, or should he thrust her into the soil of the earth? That's a word, thrust. Should he thrust her into the soil of the earth? That's exactly what many of the, well, some of the Arabs would do. In that climate, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, <coughs> warned the companions, warned his listeners and audience to be just to all one's children, to be compassionate, especially towards girls, to care for them, to look after them, to fear Allah in relation to girls. And by, with, through his own daughters, he set a perfect example, whose match we can't find even now. What he did with his daughters is not to show them love and compassion and care and concern, as I've just related from the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. He showed respect to his own daughters, unique respect. And when he came to this second ignorant attitude, especially in our culture, of <clears throat> giving exclusive rights and privileges to the eldest son. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others relate a hadith from Nu'man ibn Bashir who says that my father gave me, his father had children from different wives. So he had half brothers and half sisters. Well, he had half siblings. So Nu'man ibn Bashir who says that my father gave me a gift. And it was of some value, immense value. So the mother told her, father, told her husband, Bashir, that I want you to make a witness to this gifting to my son. I want you to make the messenger a witness. So the Prophet was approached by Nu'man ibn Bashir's father, radiyallahu anhumah. And he said to him, O Messenger of Allah, will you be a witness to my gifting this thing to my, or this gift to my son? So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, have you given all of your children the same gift? So Bashir said, no, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet ﷺ said, in that case, leave for I will not be a witness to injustice. 
So then Nu'man ibn Bashir and his own son returned the gift to the father. The son returned the gift to the father. In one narration, the Prophet says clearly, Fear Allah. Fear Allah and be just amongst your children. <coughs> to that extent, he instructed justice, he instructed compassion, and he set an example himself. <coughs> Prophet wasallam was born an orphan. His father had already left the world before he was born. He lived with his mother for a very short while. And so the Prophet was an orphan. He grew up as an orphan. He had no siblings, no brothers or sisters. And so he had no immediate family, per se. And yet, the Prophet ﷺ grew up to be a perfectly healthy emotional individual. Despite having moved from home to home as a child, despite not having the love, attention and care of the father, the mother, except for a very short while. But imagine how traumatizing it is for any child and how traumatizing it would have been for the Messenger of Allah no father, and then at the tender age of six, he witnesses his own mother's death and burial. Without the support of a father or a brother or sister, no. Then he goes into the care and custody of his grandfather, lives with him for two years before he dies before moving on into the custody of his uncle Abu Talib, who though noble was poor. And so the Prophet ﷺ had to share a small home in poverty with many cousins, sisters and brothers. And then to look after himself and to lighten the load of his uncle, at the tender age of 12, he went out and he would go out every day and work as a shepherd, as a boy shepherd. That was a messenger of Allah. And yet when he grew up, he recognized and he felt the importance, the need of a loving, caring family unit. And despite not having experienced that himself, being emotionally extremely healthy, he was able to show the utmost love and compassion to his own family. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha who says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said خيركم 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 That the best of you is the one who is the best to his family. And of all of you, I am the best to my family. And that meant his wives. That meant his children. It meant his grandchildren. It meant his adopted children. At one time, adopted children. It meant even his stepchildren. It's difficult for a man, any man, to take into his fold 
his care and custody, children from another mother, from, from children from another father. Yet the Prophet ﷺ had a number of stepchildren. And even to these stepchildren, he showed nothing but love and compassion. Not just love and compassion, he wouldn't ignore them. He'd teach them. He'd nurture them. He'd give them tarbiyah. Imam Bukhari and others, Imam Muslim as well, relate from Umar ibn Abi Salama radiyallahu anhuma, the son of Umm Salama radiyallahu anha. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam married her, she was related to Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. And according to some narrations, he was one of the messengers to her. So, <clears throat> Her husband, Abu Salama, had died. And she had been truly tested in the way of Allah. Her story at the time of Hijrah, when she emigrated from Mecca to Medina, is heartbreaking. She was separated from her husband, she separated from her son. All son, mother, father were all separated forcibly. She suffered. Her son suffered, her husband suffered, and he was a good man. He came home and told her that I heard the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say, whenever anyone is struck by a calamity, then let him read. And the dua was, Allahumma ajunni fi musibati wa akhlifli khayran minha. Thou Allah, reward me in my suffering and grant me Something better to follow. Something, a better substitute. So, <clears throat> he's the one who related the hadith to her. And then, sometime later, he passed away. And she would recite this dua. And when reciting this dua, she would say, Oh Allah, reward me in my suffering. And grant me something far better than my loss. And then she would think that, who could be better than Abu Salama radiyallahu And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent word to her, seeking her hand in marriage. So she said she was a very intelligent and wise woman. Very intelligent, very wise. She was solely responsible for advising the Messenger of Allah at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, as we've learned. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam actually acted on her advice. So, she sent word to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam saying, O Prophet of Allah, I'm not young. I have children, and I do not wish the children to be a burden to you. And number three, three things. And the third thing, I'm a woman of intense jealousy of a greater jealousy than normal women. So the Prophet wasallam, when he received her reply, he sent back words saying, as for you saying that you are not young, well, the one who is seeking your hand in marriage is no younger than you. As for your children, Allah will take care of them. They will not be a burden on me. And as for your intense jealousy, Allah will remove it. 
So she accepted. He married her. And then Umm Salama says, By Allah, my jealousy disappeared to such a degree as though it never existed. But her children were never a burden to the Messenger of Allah. She had children. Ramla, the daughter of Abu Sufyan, Umm Habiba, she brought her daughter. The Prophet had stepdaughters and stepsons. So Umar ibn Abi Salama, one of her children, he was in the care and custody of the Prophet and the Prophet showed love, care and concern for him. He says in the hadith later by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim that one day I was, I was, I was eating with the Messenger of Allah and my hand was flying all over the plate as a child does. So the Prophet these were the words, Tatish, flying all over the plate. So the Prophet lovingly taught him, O oh child, Sammillah, wa kul bi yameenik, wa kul mimma yaleek. Say Bismillah, take the name of Allah, eat with your right hand, and eat what's in front of you. So Umar ibn Abi Salamah radiyallahu anhu, his relationship was such. Imagine, stepchildren do not view a stranger in a good light once that stranger takes the supposed place of their father. And yet, Umar ibn Abi Salama, imagine how well the Prophet must have treated him that he viewed his stepfather in the following light. He says, ever since the Prophet uttered those words to me, this has been my style of eating ever since. One message, one teaching, and he absorbs it and adopts it as a lifelong habit. (coughs) So even with not just his children, and not just his grandchildren, but even with his stepchildren, and as far as his love for the one-time adopted son, Zayd ibn Haritha, that's legendary. But speaking of his own children, what love did he show? And not just the love of a father. I speak about someone who was a warrior, a military commander, a political leader, the leader of a nation. Someone who was busy in every sense of the word. We think we are busy, we have no time for our children. A thought occurred to me today, which was, if you want to rate yourself as a parent, even in this day and age, if you want to rate yourself as a parent, just ask yourself a simple question, would you want to be your own child? Would you want to be your own child? Because you know yourself. You know how you are. Can you entertain the thought of being your own child? I.e., would you accept yourself as a father or a mother, as a parent, knowing exactly how you are? But the Prophet Despite being who he was, the love and compassion, the playfulness he showed with his children, it's 
It's truly amazing. With he had a son Ibrahim radiallahu who was born from Maria Qibtiya radiallahu anha and who died at a very again in his infancy. This was one of the sufferings of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that all of his male children passed away in infancy. And there was wisdom in that. So Ibrahim radiallahu he was born from Maria Qibtiya radiallahu anha and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam loved him dearly. He couldn't keep him around the masjid because of the wives. Because Maria Qibtiya radiallahu anha was close. But the wives were all intensely jealous of each other. And there were two factions amongst the wives. So when it came to the wives, they were all jealous of each other. But when it came to Maria Qibtiya, all of the wives came together. And they were intensely jealous of her. So much so that the Prophet ﷺ had to take Ibrahim, his newborn son, whom he loved dearly, to a distant part of Medina. And there he had to keep him and his mother separate. So, so much so that when he was born, the Prophet ﷺ gladly brought Ibrahim and showed him to the whole family. Brought him to Aisha radiallahu anha and as a proud father he said to Aisha radiallahu anha, look at him, do you not see his, my resemblance in him? Do you not see the resemblance? So Aisha radiallahu anha scoffed because of her jealousy and she said, I see no resemblance. So they were intensely jealous of Maria Qibtiya radiallahu anha, so he had to take her away and the son. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu relates in a hadith quoted by Imam Bukhari and Imam, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih. This is his wording. He says, I have never seen anyone more merciful towards children than the Messenger of Allah. He himself was a child, Anas. So he said, I have never seen anyone more merciful towards children than the Messenger of Allah. And then he goes on to describe how the Prophet ﷺ would go to see Ibrahim his son. And remember, this was in a society which regarded softness as weakness, compassion as weakness, and love towards girls and children as unmanly. Abu Hurairah عنه, relates, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim relates a hadith from Abu Hurairah that once one of the Arabs, Aqra ibn Habis, was with him. And the Prophet وسلم, had his grandson Hassan so he kissed him. So Aqra ibn Habis saw it and he said to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa do you kiss your children? I have ten children by Allah, I've never kissed any of them. That was a society. He said, I have ten children, I've never kissed any of them. Do you kiss your children? 
So the Prophet looked at him and said, He who is not merciful, no mercy is shown to him. That was a mercy, compassion which Allah places in a, in a person's heart. So that was a society where the, and Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha herself relates that <coughs> someone came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he, he must have kissed, again, he kissed some of the children. So this visitor said, do you kiss your children? We never kiss our children. So the Prophet sallallahu words to him were, that what can I do if Allah has snatched mercy from your heart? So that was a society. So Anas says, I never saw anyone more merciful towards children, more compassionate towards children than the Messenger of Allah. Then he goes on to describe what he would do with Ibrahim, his son. He would go to visit him. <coughs> and Ibrahim was being breastfed by a lady in Medina whose husband was a blacksmith. So the house would often be filled with smoke or the odour of smoke. So to fragrance a house, he would actually burn lemongrass. So Anas says the Prophet would go there and the house would be fumigated with lemongrass. And the Prophet would take Ibrahim and he would hold him, he would kiss him, smell him, smother him with kisses and actually smell him as a loving father would. And then Anas bin Malik says that on one occasion I went with him along with other companions, because he had heard that his son was extremely ill. So the Prophet ﷺ went, and he picked up his son, and he was in great pain. Prophet ﷺ began weeping, and he actually died. The son died, Ibrahim radiallahu He began weeping. <coughs> So again, because of that thinking and history and tradition of the Arabs, Abdurrahman ibn Awf there were a number of Sahaba present. Abdurrahman ibn Awf spoke up and said, Ya Rasulullah, you weep? So the Prophet said, Oh ibn Awf, this is a mercy which Allah places in the heart, a compassion. And then he said, indeed the eyes weep, and the heart grieves, but the tongue does not say that except which pleases Allah. And then, indeed to Allah belongs what he takes, to him belongs what he gives. Everything is for a fixed time with Allah. And then addressing Ibrahim radiallahu anhu, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَإِنَّا بِفِرَاقِكَ يَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ لَمَحْزُنُونَ And we are with your parting, O Ibrahim, immensely grieved. And then he continued weeping. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah does not show mercy to those who are not merciful themselves. Allah only shows mercy to those who are merciful amongst his servants. So this is a rahmah, a mercy, a compassion. 
But as I said, the tradition, the thinking of the Arabs was one of manliness, one of not showing weakness, not showing compassion, leniency or softness, even towards children. In that climate, in that tradition, the Prophet ﷺ did what he did. He did the same with one of his grandsons, the, the son of Zainab anha. She summoned him saying, my son is in the last throes of life. So the Prophet ﷺ went and he picked up the son. And he wept. He wept again. Although that son actually survived. But he wept. Again, some of those who were present, Sa'd ibn Ubadah said, O Messenger of Allah, you weep. Sa'd ibn Ubadah was originally from Medina. Abdurrahman ibn Awf was originally from Mecca. So this thinking, this mentality, this whole approach of softness and compassion towards children was the same in Mecca or Medina. So Sa'd ibn Ubadah said, Ya Rasulullah, you weep. So the Prophet said the same thing to him. This is a compassion, a mercy which Allah places in the hearts. So the Prophet showed immense love and compassion to his son Ibrahim, to his son, to his daughters, to his grandchildren, and especially Hassan and Hussein. And to what degree playfulness? Can we imagine playfulness on the part of the Messenger of Allah? Prophet sallallahu relates that the Prophet sallallahu Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal relates this in his Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu was actually delivering a sermon on the mimbar. The masjid was full, whole congregation in front of him. When all of a sudden Hassan and Hussein radiyallahu both of them wearing red brownish clothes, they came running and stumbling. Towards the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he actually stopped his sermon, his khutbah, descended from the mimbar, picked both of them up, and then addressing the congregation, he said, Indeed, Allah has spoken the truth. And then he recited a verse of the Quran, Innama amwalukum wa awladukum fitna, that your children and your wealth are only a distraction and a test. And then he said, I saw these two sons of mine running and stumbling and I could not help but stop my sermon and descend and pick them up. So <coughs> when it came to Hassan and Hussein, he even broke his sermon. This is, an, this is a lesson for us. And I speak frankly, in our masjids, Let's ask ourselves, what's the attitude shown towards children? In many masjids, we, they actually have a sign saying, no children under the age of seven allowed. Even accompanied, obviously. But parents aren't allowed to bring their children under the age of seven. And I heard a humorous story the other day, well, uh, recently, that um, there's a masjid which announced that it was going to be very progressive and very open-minded, etc. And the people who frequented the masjid and who actually uh, set up the committee, etc., they were very vocal in their opposition to other masjids, 
where children were discouraged from coming with their parents. So they kept an open-door policy, let children come. But then, I think they must have been overwhelmed, that now that same masjid has a sign saying no children under the age of seven allowed. And the reason this was related to me was I was asked, is there any legal basis in the fiqh? And why age of seven? There are reasons for that. One of them is that instruct your children to pray salah at the age of seven. So that's one of the uh, distinguishing uh, features. But when it comes to children, we as adults, we need to be more tolerant and understanding, even in the masjid, even in the masjid. And I'm sure many of you will remember as children, I certainly do, we, we used to have to play chicken in the masjid, meaning we were always fearful of and trying to escape the clutches of some of the older musallis who would use any excuse to give you a clip around the ear. So when it came to salah, if they saw you talking in the corner, come along, what are you doing talking here, a clip around the ear? Especially taraweeh. In taraweeh, you always had those busybodies who don't pray taraweeh themselves, <laughs> but they stand at the back and they become self-appointed monitors of the children to ensure that the children pray taraweeh. So, and then you'd have people shouting at children, parent, but people complaining that children are making noise. Why do we allow ourselves to be disturbed? Are we better than the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa salam, Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu relates a hadith by Imam Bukhari and others. And Imam Muslim. Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, I start the prayer, the salah, and I actually intend to recite a long surah, but I then hear the weeping of a child. And so I shorten my prayer out of concern for the yearning that the child feels for its mother. I shorten my salah out of concern for the yearning that the child feels for its mother. Subhanallah. The Prophet wasallam would reduce the length of his prayer for the whole congregation because of the weeping of one child. And he was standing in the masjid on the mimbar, Hassan and Hussein came running. He cut his sermon. He descended, showed love, gave his reason to the whole congregation. And in one narration, Shaddad ibn al-Hadr relates, Subhanallah. Listen to this when it comes to salah in the masjid. Shaddad ibn al-Hadr radiyallahu anhu relates hadith from Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his mustad. He says that one day we went to the masjid and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he came to salah with one of his grandsons.
and he went to the front and he had his grandson with him. Then when he went into sujood, the grandson climbed on his back. And the way he describes the hadith, the story is, the Prophet ﷺ went into prostration. When he went into prostration, he just remained in prostration for a very long time. So even I got worried and I raised my head to see what had happened. So he said, I saw his grandson on his back. So I went back into sujood. When salah finished, the Sahaba عنهم, said to the Messenger of Allah, O Prophet وسلم, you performed a prostration for so long in Salah. We were concerned. Has some, did something happen? Or were you receiving a revelation from Allah? So the Prophet وسلم, said, no, none of these things happened. Meaning, they actually said, we fear that something may have happened, or you may be receiving a wahi from Allah. So he said, none of this happened. All that happened was, this son of mine, he made me a ride. The wording of the hadith is, irtahalani, he made me a ride. Irtahalani, he made me a rahila. So he made me a ride. He climbed on my back. So, I decided to leave him until he had finished his play. That's all that happened. <coughs> now imagine an imam today whose grandson climbs on his back and delays a congregation's prayer by a second. The imam's gone, the grandson's gone. I remember once in the month of Ramadan, I delayed. I didn't delay. Salah is salah. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was no clock. There's never been a history of clocks. Now it's like military timing. So imams in the masjid, out of sheer fear of the congregation and the committee, they time salah in such a way that they know the number of steps they need to take before they reach the sajjad, the musalla, and how many seconds it takes. They stand up at the right time, they walk at the right pace, so that they reach the musalla all at the right time and their salah can begin. On time. But no imam makes a conscious decision of delaying the salah. Jum'ah salah. There could be a delay in the announcements, the khutbah. There could be a delay in the qira'ah, in the tilawah. It was a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ on occasions to read Surah Al-A'la in the first rak'ah and Surah Al-Ghashiyah in the second rak'ah. And on other, on other occasions of Jumu'ah, he would read Surah Al-Jumu'ah in the first rak'ah and Surah Al-Munafiqoon in the second rak'ah. And this second combination is much, much longer than the first one. So... Even today we follow the sunnah. So one Jumu'ah could be, no two Jumu'ahs are going to be the same in length. Khairan. I once led Jumu'ah Salah. And at the end of the Salah, the, I was late by three minutes. Well, not late, but someone felt I was late by three minutes. In the month of Ramadan, he went out of the masjid 
And uh, don't worry, I'm not offended. I'm, uh, I'm not relating this out of pain. But it's to for us to take, subhanAllah, reflect on what was said, why, and in which month. So in the month of Ramadan, he goes out the masjid and he kicks up a fuss. And he actually begins announcing to the people that this harami delayed salah. Forgive me for repeating. <laughs> but subhanallah, by three minutes, and even he accepted that this harami delayed salah by three minutes. But he must have spent 30 minutes just arguing outside with everyone. Khayran. So the Prophet ﷺ in the masjid when it comes to children, Allahu Akbar. Hassan and Hussein radiallahu anhu are climbing on his back, running up to the mimbar. On one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ, one of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu relates, again Ibn Majah relates hadith, that he, he says that one day we were invited by the Prophet ﷺ. So, to a dinner. So, the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, a few of them went. And whilst they were walking along the road, along the streets of Medina, Hussein, radiyallahu the grandson of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa was playing. So, when the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa imagine the scene. The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa is going to an invitation along with a large group of companions. He is a messenger of Allah, a guest of honor. He has his entourage and is walking with them in the streets of Medina. Hussein is playing. So the Prophet sees him. So when he sees him, the Prophet stops and does this, spreads his arms. And signals to Hussein to come to him. And Hussein radiallahu an, instead of coming to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he's darting here and there. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is chasing him. That's the messenger of Allah. He's chasing him. And he's laughing with him. He's laughing with. So Hussein radiallahu an is laughing. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is laughing. And with open outstretched arms he's chasing him. Eventually, he catches him. When he catches him, the Prophet ﷺ hugs him, grabs his head like a, in, in a vice. He, play, he holds his chin with one hand and the top of his head with the other, like we do with children. And then he draws Hussein to himself, kisses him. And in one narration, he kissed him on his lips. And then in front of everybody, he said, Hussein is of me and I am of Hussein. And Allah loves the one who loves Hussein. And Hussein is by himself a tribe of the tribes. But the imagine the scene. This was a messenger of Allah walking with an entourage, a guest of honor, he being who he is. And he, with outstretched open arms, playing with his grandchild in the streets of Medina, laughing, joking. And he wouldn't just be with his own children, he'd do the same with other children. Mahmud ibn Rabi'ah is a companion. One of the youngest companions and one of the last ones to pass away. He actually died 
99 years after the Hijrah. He died in 99 Hijri in Jerusalem in Bayt al-Maqdis. One of the old, one of the oldest Sahaba radiyallahu and the last ones to pass away, Mahmud ibn Rabi'. And this Mahmud ibn Rabi' is very interesting because he was only five years old. Because the ulama have had this discussion that at which age can we regard someone as being capable of relating hadith? So in this discussion, the ulama make various points. Bukhari, Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, being Bukhari, he relates the hadith of Mahmud ibn al-Rabi' in this chapter about what age, to prove this point about what age a person can be considered fit to hear and relate hadith. So Mahmud ibn al-Rabi' says that the Imam Bukhari relates his hadith and so to others, that the Prophet visited them. When he visited them, he, there was a bucket by their well. So the Prophet was drawing water from there and drinking. And Mahmud ibn Rabi' was only five years old and he was standing there. So the Prophet took water in his mouth and then he let loose a jet, a stream of water on his face. Five-year-old child, so he let loose a jet and a stream of water on the face of Mahmud ibn Rabi'. And he cherished that all his life. All his life. And he would forever mention it. So Bukhari brilliantly mentions his hadith to show that the age of five should be regarded as the age from which time a person can understand and absorb hadith to be able to relate it afterwards. So Muhammad ibn Rabi' was no relation, and yet the Prophet played with him. Anas ibn Malik, he would play with Anas ibn Malik. He'd play with other children. He'd play with his grandsons. That was a playful nature of Rasulullah Anas ibn Malik says that he would play with his younger brother. Imam Bukhari and others all relate that. Anaswana Malik, from Anaswana Malik, he had a younger brother. His name was Abdullah, but his kunya was Abu Umair. So, he was younger than Anas. And he had a bird, a red-beaked bird. And he used to play with it. So one day the Prophet ﷺ went to the house and Abu Umair was very sad. So the Prophet ﷺ said, why? he used to always play with him and joke with him. So he said, why is he sad? So they said, the bird has died. So in Arabic, the, the, that particular bird is Nughur. So the Prophet ﷺ made a play on his name, on the boy's name, and a play on the name of the bird, and with the same meter made them rhyme. So uh, the, the little boy's kunya was Abu Umair. So the Prophet وسلم, said, Ya Aba Umair, ma fa'alan nughayr. That, oh Abu Umair, what has a nughayr done? What's happened with the nughayr? But Anas ibn Malik says that he would play with his younger brother, not just 
be kind towards him. The wording in one hadith is yudahikwa, and one yumazihu, he would joke with him, he would play with him. So the Prophet ﷺ played with his grandchildren, with others, even with uh, stranger children that he had no relationship, no relation to. But that was the nature of Rasulullah ﷺ, with his grandsons, Hassan, Hussein, kissing them, playing with them in the masjid, even in, uh, at the time of salah, with other children. And the way he treated children, Allahu Akbar. Anas ibn Malik is a beautiful example. Anas ibn Malik wasn't even family. We've learned how he treated his daughter, his grandchildren. Even his adopted son, Zayd ibn Harithah, even before the Prophet received a revelation of the Quran. Zayd ibn Harithah was captured and sold into slavery, eventually he found his way to the Messenger of Allah. Prophet ﷺ kept him. His, his father and his uncle would travel the length and breadth of Arabia looking for him. Eventually that someone told them that he is in Mecca. So they came to Mecca and they found him in the Messenger of Allah. Father and uncle spoke to the Prophet ﷺ in the absence of Zayd ibn Haritha. And they said to him, look, we have heard a lot about you. We know you are a noble man. We wish to reclaim our son and we are willing to pay any ransom. Prophet said, I'll give you a fair offer. Do not ask me, let's ask Zayd, your son. If he wishes to go with you, he can go with you freely. I will not accept any ransom. And I will honor his wish. But if he wishes to remain with me, then you must honor his wish. Father and uncle thought, which child was going to remain with anyone else? They summoned Zayd ibn Haritha And he said to them, Father, uncle, after greeting, meeting, he said, Father, uncle, of course, as a child, I would love to go with you. But I will not give preference to anyone's company over the company of Muhammad. Remember, he wasn't recognized as a messenger of Allah. Father and uncle pleaded with him, but he would not budge. In the end, they were happy. Imagine how the messenger of Allah must have treated him. That even when his long-lost father and uncle arrived to collect him, Zayd ibn Haritha said, I will remain with Muhammad. So the Prophet told the uncle and father, from this day on, he will not be called Zayd ibn Haritha by adopting. And from now on, he shall be called Zayd ibn Muhammad, Zayd the son of Muhammad. He had that honor of being the only adult who was ever called Zayd the son of Muhammad. And that honor remained with him all the way till the fifth year of Hijrah. Until Allah banned calling people by their adopted parents' names. So he was saddened by that. But Allah substituted that honor with another honor, which is 
Allah mentioned him by name in the Quran. Of all the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, no one is mentioned by name, not even Abu Bakr or Umar, only Zayd ibn Harith. And in fact, as I've mentioned before, it's something unique about the Quran. The Quran is a unique book. Its constitution is unique. Its structure is unique. Its approach should be unique. <coughs> of all the Prophet wasallam's contemporaries, everyone who lived at that time, only two people are mentioned by name in the Quran. One Muslim, one non-Muslim, both members of his family. Abu Lahab and Zayd ibn Haritha. These are the only two mentioned by name in the entire Quran from all the contemporaries of the Prophet So Zayd ibn Haritha was a member of his family and he regarded him as a member even after he was no longer called Zayd the son of Muhammad and only Zayd ibn Haritha. And the Prophet ﷺ lost him in the Battle of Muta in the 8th year of Hijrah. Zayd ibn Haritha had a son, Usama ibn Zayd. The Prophet loved him dearly. Now, Zayd ibn Haritha, he was one of the Arabs of the northern tribe, Banu Kalb. Him, he and Abu Dihya were from the same tribe. So Abu Dihya al-Kalbi and... Zayd ibn Haritha al-Kalbi. And being one of the northern tribes, uh, one of the northern Arabs, they were uh, like, you can see even today, they very fair. So Zayd ibn Haritha radiyallahu anhu was extremely fair. But he was married to Umm Ayman radiyallahu anha. She was an Abyssinian lady. And Usama ibn Zayd, his son, had taken on the complexion of his mother. So he was quite dark in complexion. So the Arabs would taunt Usama and the father. But the Prophet loved him dearly. Usama ibn Zayd. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma says that in the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab, in his Khilafah, my father, he fixed a stipend for me of 3,000 dirhams. And he fixed a stipend for Zayd, uh, Usama ibn Zayd of 3,500. So I objected to my father and I said, why have you given him a greater amount than me? It wasn't a one-off thing, it was a fixed stipend. He has never surpassed me in anything in terms of my commitment, my attendance my participation in the campaigns because that was the order people were given stipends according to their seniority and their participation in the earlier campaigns so the veterans of Badr were the greatest dignitaries so Abdullah ibn Umar says why have you given him more? Listen to the reply of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. Umar radiyallahu anhu was Umar. He said, Oh son, the reason I've given Usama more than I've given you is because he was more beloved to the Messenger of Allah than you were. 
just as his father was more beloved to the Messenger of Allah than your father was. So I gave preference to the love of Rasulullah over my own love. That was the love the Messenger of Allah had for Usama ibn Zayd, who was not his flesh and blood, but the son of his adopted son, one-time adopted son. Aisha radiallahu anha relates that once the people had to speak to the Prophet in a very grave matter, but no one dared to approach him, no one. And they actually said amongst themselves, who will speak to the Messenger of Allah, who can about this matter? Then they all agreed that no one can speak to the Messenger of Allah except the beloved of the Messenger of Allah. And who are they referring to? Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu so, <clears throat> Usama ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhu, when he was much younger, again, Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith from Aisha radiyallahu anha who says that once the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he wished to remove the mucus from the nose of Usama ibn Zayd. So he was about to go and do it when Aisha radiallahu anha said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, leave it, let me do it. So the Prophet wasallam allowed her to do it. As a child, she was cleaning him up, cleaning his nose. And then he said to her, O oh, Aisha, if you love me, then love Usama. If you love me, then love Usama. And again, Aisha radiallahu anha relates, listen to this following hadith, related by Ibn Majah in his Sunan, from Aisha radiallahu anha. She says once, Usama ibn Zayd, he stumbled and fell over the doorstep. As a result, he, ga- he gashed himself on his face. So he began bleeding. So the Prophet wasallam, he may have been at some slight distance. Aisha radiallahu anha must have been closer to him. So the Prophet wasallam told Aisha radiallahu anha, quickly clean him up, look after him, go to him. So because she saw blood, Aisha radiallahu anha says, meaning I refrained from it and I held back. So the Prophet rushed to Usama ibn Zayd. This was a messenger of Allah. And this is his, not his son or his grandson, but the son of his one-time adopted son. Prophet took hold of Usama ibn Zayd and this is actually in the hadith. Do you know how he cleaned up the gash? He began sucking the blood with his own noble mouth. Suck the blood and spitting it out. Sucking the blood and spitting it out. And then because Osama was crying, he was sucking the blood, spitting it out. And then he began caressing him and consoling him, soothing him with the words that, Oh, Osama, if you were a little girl, I would dress you up like this and I would dress you up like that. That was a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa In fact, look at his justice. Again, Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates from Usama ibn Zayd himself that what the Prophet sallallahu would do is that he'd take Hassan radiyallahu an, his, other, his grandson, and he'd place him on one knee, and he'd take me, Usama ibn Zayd, and place me on the other knee. And then... He would hold both of us and he'd make the dua that oh Allah love both of them just as I love both of them. And have, mer- sorry, have mercy on both of them just as I have mercy, not love, 
Have mercy on both of them and show compassion to them just as I show mercy and compassion to both of them. So he created an equality between Hassan, the son of Fatima radiallahu anha, his own flesh and blood, and Usama, the son of Zayd, one time adopted son. If that was a love he showed people like Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu anha, imagine others. The Prophet was remarkable in not just showing love, but consideration. Children are ignored. There used to be a saying, children should be seen, not heard. <coughs> seen, not heard. They are to be ignored. And look how the Prophet treats children. Imam Bukhari relates in his Sahih that Abdullah Sahl ibn Sa'ad al-Ansari relates. That Abdullah ibn Abbas was seated with the Prophet. There was a gathering. And the Prophet was seated. And to the left were senior Sahaba. The words of the Hadith are Ashiyakh, meaning the Shuyukh of the Sahaba were all seated to the left. And the Prophet was seated here. Abdullah ibn Abbas, his cousin brother, was seated to his right. So as we know, you should give to the right. Unless, of course, there's someone more senior and elder. So you always start with the right, unless there's someone more senior and elder. But look at the way the Prophet did it. Someone brought him a drink of milk and water. So the Prophet ﷺ drank. And the Sahaba عنهم, they wanted the residue, the remains of the water of the Messenger of Allah. They always wanted it. Even the wives. On one occasion when two of the Sahaba عنهم, took water and splashed it on themselves and wiped their faces and even drank from it, one of the wives was listening to all of this, and she actually spoke up and said, leave some of the remnant of the water of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For who? She said, leave some for your mother too. That was a wife. When we speak of the wives of the Messenger of Allah, yes, they treated him as a husband, but more than a husband, they actually viewed him as a Messenger of Allah. They believed in his barakah. They wanted his sweat. They used to collect his perspiration and use it as perfume. They wanted his water, his fadl. The mother from spoke from behind saying, leave some for your mother. So the Sahaba, عنهم, they wanted the remaining water of Rasulullah to drink. But here the Prophet وسلم, was seated with Abdullah ibn Abbas, a young child to his right. And to the left were all senior Sahaba radiallahu anhum. One of them was Khalid ibn al-Walid. So on, to the left, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had all these senior statesmen and hardened warriors and generals. And to the right, there was this young child, Abdullah ibn Abbas. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam drank and then this is what he did. He said to Abdullah ibn Abbas, or Abdullah, do you give me permission to give the water to these? 
shiyukh, meaning the seniors. So he took permission. Because Prophet wanted to start from the right, but then he also wanted to give preference to the seniors. He could have just given it to the seniors, but he took permission. So what did Abdullah ibn Abbas say? He said, Ya Rasulullah, by Allah, I will give no one privilege or preference over your remaining water. So the Prophet gave him, he actually put it in his hand. Abdullah ibn Abbas drank it. What this story tells me is not just love, not just compassion, but subhanAllah, consideration, respect for children. Imagine the scene. To the left, you've got generals like Khalid ibn al-Walid, battle-hardened warriors and commanders. You've got shuyukh, the seniors of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. And to the right, a child, and this is how he treats him. Allahu Akbar. And not even his own son. But his cousin brother. There are so many stories of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and Prophet with children. It's remarkable. With children. Anas bin Malik radiallahu He was the page boy and the attendant. His mother, Umm Sulaim radiallahu anha, took him to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah. Other people at Medina have given you a gift. I have no gift to give you. Here is my little special one. Accept him as a gift. Use him as a messenger boy, an errand boy. Use him in your service. Prophet ﷺ took him into his care. Anasun says, For ten years I served the messenger of Allah. Ten years. We learn from so many narrations. And in those ten years, never once did he say, Oof to me. Oof. Now, what's uff? وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفٍ وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا وَقُلْ لَهُمَا قَوْلًا كَرِيمًا Allah says, speaking of parents. That do not even say uff to them. I.e., don't speak ill to them, don't speak offensively to them, don't rebuke them, don't admonish them. Don't say harsh words to them. Forget words. Don't even say oof. That means if someone, like we click our tongues and we make noises or oof, that's what it means. Not even a word, not even half a word, not even two syllables, not even oof. Don't even say oof to them. So Anas ibn Malik says, in 10 years, I speak from different narrations. He never frowned at me. He never scolded me. He never abused me. He never struck me. In fact, in 10 years, he never said oof to me. Never did he once say to me, why did you do something for something I shouldn't have done? Or why didn't you do something for something I should have done? Never once. And Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi relates, listen to this hadith. Imam Muslim relates in his sahih. That Anas Malik says, one day the Prophet sent me on an errand. And he's a child. Speaking of children, all children, Imam Muslim relates another beautiful hadith. Imam Sayyar, he's one of the narrators of the hadith. In Sahih Muslim, he says, I was walking with Imam Thabit al-Bunani. So we pass by a group of children. 
So Imam, my shaykh and teacher, Imam Thabit al-Bunani, he said to all the children, Assalamu alaikum. So the children returned the salam. Then Imam Thabit al-Bunani turned to Sayyar and said, I was walking with Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu an, our teacher and shaykh. And we passed by a group of children. So he turned to the children and said, Assalamu alaikum. And then he related to us that I was walking with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We passed by a group of children playing. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to them, Assalamu alaikum. And in one narration, he actually said to them, Assalamu alaikum, O children, specifically. That is humility. So Anas al-Malik radiallahu anhu says, one day I was with the Messenger of Allah, he sent me on an errand. So even though I intended to go in my heart, I made an intention to go, children being children, do you know what he said to the Messenger of Allah? Wallahi la adhab. He said, by Allah, I'm not going to go. Anas ibn Malik said to the Messenger of Allah, by Allah, I'm not going to go. But he said, inside I was going to go. Later. So he went out, walking slowly like children, and there was a group of children playing. So he joined the children, began playing. Prophet ﷺ got delayed. So he came out. So Anas ibn Malik says, whilst I was busy, preoccupied, playing with the children, I felt someone place their hand on my nape. So I turned around and it was a messenger of Allah. And he was smiling. And lovingly, his name was Anas. But in Arabic, if you speak compassionately, you use a diminutive. So he said, Ya Unais, O little Anas. So I turned around, he was a messenger of Allah who was smiling at me. And he said, O little Anas, Ya Unais, have you gone to fulfill that errand that I sent you for? So Anas said, Ya Rasulullah, I'll go now. Prophet sent him on his way. Subhanallah. Imagine how people treat their waiters, their attendants, their servants, their messenger boys, their employees, adult employees, adult subordinates. Over a little thing. And look how the Messenger of Allah treats someone whose mother has said, I give him to you. Who served him for 10 years. Who tells him to his face, by Allah, I'm not going to go. And that's how the Messenger of Allah is with Anas bin Malik. There are countless stories I could relate from different Sahaba of how the Messenger of Allah treated just children. He showed them respect. He showed children respect, love, compassion, mercy. Not just his own sons and daughters or grandsons and daughters, but even strangers, even other, other people's children. There's a great lesson for all of us in that. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to follow in his footsteps. May Allah make us amongst those who are loving, caring, and compassionate towards children. In fact, something which is extremely difficult to achieve. Because parents do both. They show love, and then they also show anger. They berate children, and then apologize to them and show love. We have these splits. 
attitudes towards children. We all have them. But the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was consistent in his love, in his compassion, in his mercy. And one remarkable and very difficult thing to achieve. And I pray that we could actually gain a share of that, which is to show respect and consideration to children. That's something which he demonstrated to us too. وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك